Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. On today's show, we are going to talk about those mashing Minnesota Twins. Matt is obviously going to talk about Luis Perdomo. We're going to look into the outs above average leaderboards with a few surprises, especially what is going on with Bryce Harper and Ramon Laureano. Have you noticed that Hunter Dozier is crushing the ball in Kansas City? And finally, north of the border, the Toronto Blue Jays defense is surprisingly good. And of course, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is here. But we are going to start with the Minnesota Twins, who are absolutely crushing the ball. Can I say, if I could go back to my preseason predictions and change anything, it would be that I had Cleveland over Minnesota in the American League Central. Now, wait a minute. This is just as much about Cleveland as it is about Minnesota. I have you, lost you, all faith in Cleveland. You keep saying that, but it's you know, last year I was on the, the, the Twins bandwagon. Maybe it appears a year too early, but now the uh, the bandwagon is filling up fast. We, we just, Listen, we just talked about concern about Corey Kluber. Uh, we've talked endlessly about how poor that lineup is i'm out on cleveland and uh, clevenger's out and, and clevenger's out uh the twins are 17 and 9 and they're doing it by crushing homers in the previous 20 seasons from 1999 to 2018 the twins had the third fewest homers of any club they had the american league's third worst slugging percentage and even as recently as last year they were one of just six teams without a 25 home run hitter uh the other five teams who didn't have a 25 home run hitter combined to finish 150 games below 500 that's bad. So far this year, the Twins have the best slugging percentage in baseball. They have the best weighted on base in baseball. They have the best expected weighted on base in baseball. Fourth in home runs, sixth in hard hit rate, and perhaps not surprisingly, they have the lowest ground ball rate in baseball. Uh, they are actually about to, and there's still, I think, another game. I can't remember. When's May? Tomorrow? The next day? They yeah, have, tomorrow's well, May. Okay. They have one more game left in April, uh, but as things stand right now, they will have the best slugging percentage season uh, month in the history of the franchise and i do mean franchise we're going back to the washington senators days here they oh, yeah. never had a, a month uh like this now they have fa- faced the orioles a lot right i mean i i don't want to bag i, I guess that's six, six games uh i believe six games and yeah. I, I they have 23 home runs against the orioles i don't want to bag on baltimore too much here um but so i looked this up right they have this is their line against just the orioles this year uh, 293, 347, 684. That's like no, that's like peak Nolan Arenado. It's, it's crazy. Uh, against, <laughs> With a little extra slugging. Against 
uh, teams that are not the Orioles, uh, 252, 322, 449. It's essentially a league average line. Uh, but against the Orioles, they have mashed. And I thought this note was uh, insane. This is from uh, Chuck Garfian of Chicago uh, Comcast. With that Yonder Alonso home run, the Orioles have now given up 72 home runs this year. A major league record for March and April. Uh, it's actually 73 because they hit one more after he tweeted this. The old record coming into the season was 50. I think that says a little bit about how many home runs we're seeing this month and a lot about that Baltimore pitching staff, which is uh, cover your eyes bad. So I think this influences the Twins a little bit. Yes, no question. But the Twins are still they're still they're still getting it done, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know we talked about Jorge Polanco last week, who looks like like a legit, breakout star. legitimate breakout guy. And then it's just like it's a really deep lineup, top top to bottom. I mean, what's interesting is that like Nelson Cruz is mashing but only has five home runs but he's like basically he is the nelson cruz that they paid for last year the twins were tied with the tigers for the weakest dh slugging percentage in baseball so that was mostly robbie grossman uh logan morrison and joe mauer this year they are tied for the third best in baseball uh so they, they imported four new guys right nelson cruz we talked about him a lot we love nelson cruz he's crushing it uh jonathan scope had a really lousy year last year uh, I think the, uh, the the Brewers decided not even to tender him or they declined his option or whatever this last season. Um, last year's Twins second baseman, so this is mostly Dozier and Logan Forsythe, had the eighth weakest slugging percentage in, in baseball among second basemen. This year it's the third best because Jonathan Scope is slugging 500 with four home runs. Um, CJ Cron is off to like an okay league average start, five home runs, 474 slugging. Uh, the fourth guy, by the way, Marwin Gonzalez, has been horrible, yeah. like shockingly terrible, hitting 167, 244, 256, uh, playing a lot of third base. He's probably about to lose some playing time now that Miguel Sano. By the way, they're doing all of this without Miguel Sano, who is supposed to be like their big boy slugger, right? Yeah, he's they've been, had like a weird foot, like foot foot laceration, and maybe they got infected. It's taken a while, but he's in Florida doing baseball activities, about to start a rehab assignment. And like, I've always been a Sano fan. He was pretty bad last year. He was pretty good the year before. He was an all star. Yeah. Um, Definitely a bit of an X factor because if he comes back and is like anything resembling Sano of 2017, I'm not even talking about like a repeat performance, but like 80% of it, this is like a really deep, dangerous lineup. And there's a, there's a little bit of an approach change here too. So I, I looked in, um, you know, I looked at all fly balls and line drives and I wanted to see which teams had the highest percentage of pulled balls on fly balls and line drives. They have the second highest mark at 39%, and they have the second largest increase. So last year, they pulled 31% of their balls in the air, and this year they're pulling almost 40%. And, you know, that's a big deal because, let's be honest, it's a lot easier to hit a home run to left field than it is to center field or, or you know, down the lines than it is to center field. So that seems like a conscious change for them. Um, and they've also had some interesting mini breakouts. Like, we really haven't talked about Williams Estudio on this show as much as we probably ought to. I wanted to talk about Mitch Garver for a second. Mitch Garver, out of absolutely nowhere, has five home runs and is slugging 760. Like, Garver and Estudio behind the plate – um, I, I even know he, he's played all over well, the place. Garver actually, the, uh, the, the, I think DeGrom's worst start of the year that ended his Yeah, that's exactly right. Garver went deep off him twice. Yes, he did, <laughs> which was incredible. Um, and then Max Kepler has been a kind of a popular breakout pick this winter. And I, I wasn't on board because he seems like he puts up the same season every single year. Like, it's fine. You know, it's like slightly above it, average. It's, it's actually not. I just looked him up. He was basically like for... Oh, I just been hitting. I don't oh, know. Yeah. No, I'm talking... But like, even you go by um, Weighted Runs Created Plus, he was like... In the previous three years before this one, he was like three straight years between like ninety two and ninety five. Okay, so he's he like, like basically, but it's all it's consistently like like going back three years before this year ninety seven, ninety three, ninety three. Right, 
And uh, so far this year, and I think this has changed in the last couple of days because he went. He had, a, he had a big weekend. He had a big week. Wow. He played the Orioles. Everybody <laughs> had a big weekend. Uh, so far this year, he is slugging 520, and he has a 130 weighted runs created plus. Uh, and you dug up this interesting quote that he gave to the Pioneer Press last year. Yeah, well, last year, uh, he's, last spring training, 2018, he said, For me, it's not about launch angle. It's about getting my bat head in the zone as early as possible. I used to enter straight down. Now I'm just trying to enter more on a level path, but I've still got my hands going a similar route. I'm not going to be swing, swinging up and doing all that. This sort of feels like a distinction without a difference, where he definitely – he basically says, I used to be chopping wood. Yeah. Now I'm not. Now I'm basically coming through on a level plane. And it's interesting because last year, 2018, is when he saw a huge jump in average launch angle. Going back 2016, average launch angle, 8.3 degrees, 12.7. Then a jump up to 16.2. And this year, he's at 17.1. So whether or not it's been like, oh, I'm trying to lift the ball or not, he even said, I stopped doing the chop, old school chopping wood technique. And he's seen a jump. The, expected, the big jump is expected slugging has gone from 404 last year to 520 thus far this year. So he's getting he's somehow getting to his power more. Maybe it's just the Orioles. We'll see. But he's been a trendy breakout pick for a while. So I'm very intrigued. You know who that sounds like, that quote? That sounds like Kristen Yelich. Yeah, exactly. He, he is, I'm not saying that Kepler is going to be that guy. Um, and I, I think it's, you know, they don't go into it thinking about launch angle. You know, they go into it thinking about maybe like higher line drives or whatever. And that that's what happens. Uh, so far as the Twins go... They're not repeating this month for the rest of the season. They're done playing the Orioles. All these guys are like a little more red hot than they have any right to be, except for Marvin Gonzalez. I'm buying them as an above average offense. I'm not buying them as, you know, the best slugging team in the game. But then, I mean, just even last night, you look at them and you've got Jacob Dorizzi shutting down the Astros. Astros. Yeah. And then coming in, you've got. Um, Trevor Rogers is. That, I always confuse uh, all the believers. Is Tyler Taylor Rogers? Taylor Rogers. Tyler Rogers is his twin, but he's not on the twins. Sorry. So, and then you have Ryan Harper, who was like this moonlight right. Graham guy who gotten called up a few years ago, never gotten a game, sent back down to the minors, comes as a non-roster invite, and has been his breaking pitch lights out. Awesome. Just like you know this old school like big tumbling breaking ball. Um, it is a really interesting team, and you know. The wins against the Orioles are in the bank, and they're, what, 17-9? and nine? Yeah, so three of those teams in that division aren't going anywhere, right? I have enormous concerns about Cleveland. The, the path is clear. Like, if I don't think I can think of any team except for maybe, like, somebody in the NL East dogfight who should be more aggressive this year in terms of, you know, signing Kimbrell or trading for somebody, you know? Like, this is the team that should be doing it. Interesting. Um, I kind of had thought maybe we would have a, you know, moratorium on Luis Perdomo-related content once he got sent down to AAA and sort of disappeared. And I wasn't really planning to talk about him, but every day we'd come into the office and Matt would be like, how come Perdomo didn't pitch last night? He was on the roster for San Diego for like two weeks uh, in between games, and he's pitched now a couple of times. The floor is yours. <laughs> Enlighten us. Um, he looks really good. In fact, he like I, I, I he pitched twice against the he basically he came up he pitched on April fifteenth he didn't pitch again until April twenty seventh this past right. Saturday and then went back to back days they bring him in on the twenty seventh I think they back to back like close games maybe extra innings yeah. against the uh, Nationals um, bring him in Saturday he pitches one inning strikes out all three batters he faces um, and I I just saw the box score and I like you know as always I commented about it on on Twitter I, like uh, I think I should change my handle too like has Luis, <laughs> Luis Domer, has Luis Perdomo pitched yet today. Um, and I commented on it, and like someone commented right at me, was like, and he looked amazing. And I went and watched the video, and he looked amazing, like getting you know two strikeouts, looking one one swing. He came back again on Sunday, so and pitched again another scoreless inning. And maybe he's found his niche. 
He's dropped. He's basically become a pure two pitch pitcher, which split, is kind of always the, was. The he, split finger's gone. Yeah. yeah, he's dropped the split finger. He tried to develop a third pitch. Now he's basically entirely um, four seam or sinker and slider. Sinker and slider. Yeah, and it's what you want Luis Perdomo to be right now. He's um, he's getting a the average launch angle when when batters put the ball in play against his two seamer is negative ten degrees. So when they're putting it in play, they're hitting it straight in the ground and. Well, remind listeners who might be new to the show. That's, that's makes, exactly what I was going to say. What makes Luis Perdomo special is that he has one of the lowest spin rates of anyone on his. Um, oh, that's not on, what I was going to say. On, on his fastball. Um, over the last two plus seasons, going back to the start of 2017, 174 pitchers have thrown at least um, 1,500 fastballs. He is third in lowest spin rate at 19. Uh, 1945 RPM, you know, high spin rate's good for getting swings and misses up in the zone. Low spin rate is good for getting a pitch that moves and dives in the strike zone, and that's kind of his been his MO. But then you got the this, this slider, which is like a wipeout pitch, whiff rate of 67% thus far this season. I, I was just going to catch up new listeners briefly on why there's such an infatuation with a nondescript Padres, like, sixth starter type. Oh, that. There's, like, the brief, the brief 10-second recap is, uh, like, for the last two and a half years, every time Matt has run a leaderboard on something, Perdomo's always been at the top. The spin rate, as you said, the ground ball rate, uh, and he's always just kind of hoped for that, like, glimmer of the breakout happening everybody's got their binky i guess is the way you'd put it and if Perdomo, i own a luis perdomo jersey yeah exactly you wanted right. more evidence if if perdomo has this breakout and becomes like the right-handed andrew miller or whatever the appropriate comp is i want you to go back and listen to the shows from like 2017 or whatever where matt talked about him all the time so anyway that has been your luis perdomo minute um we did launch the uh, 2019 outs above average leaderboards and that is our outfield metric that's based on uh, range and distance and speed it does not include throwing arms which will become super important in a second and you know it's worked out really well like every year buxton's at the top of it and inciarte and lorenzo kane uh it's based on you know each individual play has a catch probability and this is the accumulated season-long total of that so the top of the leaderboards uh you know mostly makes sense you know at plus five outs above average right now Kevin Kiermaier, that makes a great deal of sense. Also in the top five, you have Lorenzo Cain, uh, Delano DeShields, Almora, Stephen Duggar, Cedric Mullins, uh, and Tapia of Colorado. Those all make sense. I was surprised, by the way. You know who's uh, tied for second with Lorenzo Cain right now? Who? Avicel Garcia, who's got a plus four mark. And I, I was like, wait a minute. This this is shocking to me. What, what are we missing about Avicel Garcia? He's apparently a guy who is always faster than I think he is. Like, I never think of him as being particularly fast. I think of him as like this slower sluggery guy. And I guess I'm always wrong. Um, I looked at his sprint speed for the last four years. Wow. Five years. We're really in year five here. Time flies, man. Uh, I'm just looking at his percentiles. So in 2015, uh, he was in the 95th percentile, 95th, 94th, 91st. He's still in the 84th percentile of speed. So he's faster than I think he is. I guess this is a case where the data has taught me something. Uh, he has been expected to catch 80% of the balls hit his way based on difficulty. He's caught 93% of them. Good on you. Has any team had a, like, a better run of transactions in a row than the Rays? Like Going back to the Tommy Pham trade, they've like, the Tommy Pham trade, the... Austin Meadow, the, the archer, archer for Austin Meadow, and then they go. Garcia was a nice, like, low key signing. They go and get Charlie Morton. It's like everything they've done has like the, like turned to gold. It, if you set an arbitrary uh, start point like the day after the uh, Corey Dickerson trade, <laughs> then yes. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going so, back to the Tommy Fine trade. Uh, yes. Yeah, so anyway, uh, that makes sense. 
uh, say the bottom of the leaderboards, right? Like who is doing the worst here? And a lot of these names make sense. You know, Domingo Santana uh, has not been a good outfielder. The Seattle defense has been terrible. So he's at the bottom, minus five outs above average. Uh, tied with somebody interesting. I'm going to get to in a second. Other guys near the bottom, uh, Marcelo Zuna, that makes sense. He's had a couple of blooper plays. Uh, Jake Bowers, Eloy Jimenez, Jorge Soler, Billy McKinney. You know, none of these are guys who I think of as particularly strong outfielders. Who is Domingo Santana tied with? At the very bottom of the outs above average leaderboard, and please remember, this does not include arm strength. It is just about range. Ramon Laureano, who seems like a human highlight film, um, and you know, partially that is because his arm is ridiculously good, but he's made a couple of sweet home run robberies. He is at the bottom of the leaderboard. And I know, I think independently of one another, over the last like three days, Matt and I both noticed this and both were like, what? And we had to go look it up. Man, it's legit. You see his highlights. I don't or, think or or lowlights. Well, no, 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 no. I'm saying yeah. you, you see the highlights. You see like the really cool plays, um, but they don't run like the misplays on, on leaderboard uh, on highlight shows. I looked at these; they are real. They are spectacular. <laughs> yeah, he's had a lot of really just bad, bad like routes, ju- like just like first steps. You see a lot of plays that are like eighty to ninety percent catch probabilities that he's just he botched. He dropped. Uh, so one of them was he just lost the ball in the sun. Like, okay, you know, bad beat. That happens. 99% play uh, for Renato Nunez, and he just dropped it. That's fine. Um, he had a 90% catch on a Tommy Lastella hit on opening day that he took a terrible route. It went over his head. He's had four different doubles land that were between an 80 and 85% catch probability, and mostly to me, it seems about, let's call them interesting route decisions. You know, like he's got the speed, obviously, uh, but I was surprised to see that, and I guess He's one of those guys where it's like, you know, he, you know, the highs are high and the lows are low, which is, I guess, different than just being average all the time. Uh, but the, the, that makes sense now that I've watched these plays. Yeah, uh, it could just be like a weird, like, you know, um, cluster of plays. You know, last year he was two outs above average, so just slightly, you know, slightly above average. Um, he was pretty poor on four and four and five star plays. He only converted two out of 18 opportunities, which, I mean, it's not like a particularly bad bad number that's you're not really supposed to make those but the point is that he was he does he has not made the spectacular plays but he was very good at converting um two and three star plays so plays in the you know the 50 to you know the 50 to 90 percent catch probability range so it's we're not saying he is a bad defender full stop just that he is off to an alarming start right. that runs counter to um what you see from him in um, he's he's two for seven in two star plays this year. Last year he was nine for nine. So it's the it's the easy ones that yeah. are just killing him. So it's a, just it's just a the point is we did we did the work we did right. the homework we went and looked at all the plays and made sure this wasn't just some like oh maybe the green monster like was being screwy. He's had some some pretty bad misplays thus far this year. Um, somebody else I wanted to focus on here is that Bryce Harper is at minus two. You may remember over the winter an enormous endless amount of conversation was put into Bryce Harper's defensive metrics, which in 2018 were roundly poor, no matter which number you used. And I dug into it a lot and it seemed to me like there was something to be said for, uh, it wasn't so much that the skill was gone, but maybe the, uh, you know, the aggressiveness wasn't there and, you know, made a lot of sense so far this year, he's at minus two and I, I watched, you know, all of his misplays and, you know, two of the four worst plays he had. So he let Adam Eaton double on a 99% play, and he had an error on a 70% play. He got to the ball and hit him in the glove. And I remember seeing this a lot last year, too. So that's not about range so much as it's just not, you know, completing the play. Um, he had a 99% misplay on a Robinson Cano single where, you know, he couldn't get to a ball that was in the air for 5.6 seconds. I mean, league average sprint speed is 27 feet per second. On that play, his top was 25.8. He just for whatever reason, could not get up to top gear. 
And then he let a ball drop. This one was the one that stood out to me the most. David Dahl had a single on April 21st. It had a 90% catch probability. His sprint speed was 13.2, which is not a number you should worry about or care. It means he didn't try. He didn't bother. It just like he hung back uh, and let it drop in front of him. And I can understand that if it's like, you know, men on and a tie game in the ninth inning and you absolutely don't want to let that ball get behind you. Sure, sure. Uh, scoreless game in the third inning. So that one stood out to me a little bit. Yeah, look, but when you look back the last few years, because I was kind of curious if, you know, how this, you know, tracks with, with, with previous years in terms of out, outs above average. Right now, through a month, he's at minus two outs above average. Last year, he was minus 13 for the season. And the previous two years before that, in both 17 and 16, he was minus five. So it seems like what he's doing now is kind of back to what he was, maybe a little bit worse, if assuming this trend holds. You know, it's, 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 it's you don't really want to say like, oh, he's on pace to be like minus 10. It doesn't really work that way. Right. But like if he's minus two now, odds are, and, and this is who the defender he is now, odds are he's probably going to end up worse than minus five. And I was wondering if maybe he's lost a step. Um, maybe there's some speed that is just kind of uh, uh, faded away. But in reality, he's, you know, and this is this is base running speed to be sure. But, you know, it's, it's a pretty clear. I think it translates as like what his speed is. It's basically been about the same for the last five years. In 2015, it was 20. His average sprint, sprint speed was 27.7 feet per second. This year, it's 27.8, and it's basically stayed between 27 and 28 um, every year. So he's got the same speed he's always had. I'm just maybe he's just not a very good defender. I kind of expected this year he would be below average, and he's going to be. I'm just curious if he's going to be at the very bottom of the list um, or not. We have never, I don't think, ever said the name Hunter Dozier on this show. Um, and maybe we need to start talking about him. He is off to some kind of start. Now, points to you if you know what team Hunter Dozier is on, not you, Matt, but you, the listener, because I guarantee some of you don't. Well, he was, he was like, I think he was like a high draft pick. He was a number of, eight overall pick. Exactly. In so I think people kind of know who he is. He was a high draft pick and kind of, kind of a guy. He is, he is not Brian Dozier. He is Hunter Dozier. He's on the Kansas City Royals. Uh, he's hitting 349, 447, 686 with seven home runs. He has the fourth highest weighted runs created plus in baseball at 194. He is number 10 in expected weighted on base at 434. Uh, those numbers, uh, the expected weighted on base anyway, says to me that, you know, this isn't good luck and balls uh, just, you know, dropping in green patches of grass. He's crushing the ball. Um, he's had a little bit of an interesting career. Eighth overall pick in 2013, got a small cup of coffee in September 2016. In 2017, he played only 33 minor league games because he hurt his oblique and broke his hammock bone. And last year, he got almost 400 major league plate appearances, and he had a 278 on base and a 395 slugging percentage. Those numbers are not great. Now, it's kind of weird looking at power guys this year because, you know, there's so many home runs and you want to try to know, like, what's actually changed. In his case, the plate discipline has really changed. His swing rate has dropped from 50% to 37%. That is a big deal right there comparing last year to this year. Uh, he has almost tripled his walk rate from 6% to 15% while also dropping his strikeout rate. From 28% to 18%. That's what you want to see. Uh, and his chase rate, which is the amount of swings outside the strike zone, has dropped from 35% to 23%. Even last year, I think he had an exit velocity, his top one of like 114 or something like that. Uh, so if you can hit that hard and you can improve your plate discipline like that, granted it's been a month, um, but that's incredibly encouraging. So he spoke uh, a couple of weeks ago to Jeff Flanagan, who is our MLB.com Royals beat reporter and he kind of talked about what's changed and he said missing 2017 uh, really set me back i was sitting in arizona while i was hurt and i was trying to think of ways to improve my swing and i think i messed up my mechanics a little bit i think early this season i was thinking too much and just not competing i have to dumb it down just see the ball hit the ball that's what works for me and you know sometimes you can overthink as as we'll be the first to tell you there are way too many numbers in baseball right now and if it's as simple as 
mesh strikes and don't go outside the zone and stuff, and you've got that, you know, power tool. As you said, he was a number eight overall pick. He's not a total nobody here. Yeah, the the Royals kind of have a a decent offense with him. Alex Gordon's kind of had a resurgent year. Whit Merrifield's been pretty good. Uh, at Alberto Mondesi is interesting. Jorge Soler hits one like 450 feet every like three days. Um, the run prevention leaves a little desire, yeah. but the top of their lineup is is uh, is pretty. Everyone was so focused. On, oh, they're going to be so speedy this year. Actually, they're kind of mashing. Yeah, well. I mean, they're nine and twenty, so it's not. Uh... But, but like last year's Hunter Dozier was Ryan O'Hearn, and he is not hit at all this That's year. That's true. Uh, by the way, on their pitching staff, uh, if you get a chance, look up Ian Kennedy in relief. After like fifteen years as an okay-ish starter, he had his moments. He's been awesome in relief this year. Maybe he'll, he'll be an interesting. Could be. I guess he makes a lot of money, but he could be an interesting trade chip. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the final topic here. This is really two topics. We're going to talk about the Blue Jays. Did you know Vladimir Guerrero Jr. made his debut? And it was uh, hugely exciting. That game against the A's was actually a lot of fun to watch. It was. Uh, he, uh, you know, so far, you know, 13 plate appearances hasn't done much. Uh, his hardest hit is a 106.8 mile an hour ground out. Uh, it's early. He's going to crush everybody. You know, is a great deal of faith into that. Uh, but Andrew Simon, one of our colleagues here at MLB.com, came up with something interesting. He looked at all of the players who have seen at least 50 pitches this year, of which there are 423. And he looked at the guys who have seen the fewest amount of pitches in the zone. So the lowest zone rate. And right now, Vlad Guerrero Jr., despite him being in the big leagues for about 10 minutes, is number four on that list. Only three guys have seen fewer pitches in the zone. Uh, two of them are big-time sluggers, uh, Giancarlo Stanton and Miguel Andujar. Uh, the third one's Daniel Palka, who has you know an elite hard-hit tool but probably will chase at anything outside the zone, which is why they're throwing it like that. Uh, number four, Vlad Guerrero Jr. That shows some amount of respect, I think, early on. That's kind of cool. Yeah, the, the, what's, the, what's what's interesting to me also is just that like Andrew broke it down in a piece he did uh, for MLB.com today, and if you go if you see like, the ten Blue Jays hitters who saw at least twenty pitches in the series against the A's, Guerrero had easily the lowest zone rate, um, followed by Rowdy Tellez at forty four percent. So and like the A's are, are middle of the pack in terms of zone rate over the course of the over the course of three days relative to the rest of the majors. So it wasn't like they were like just oddly wild. Yes, we're talking about small samples, but he's coming up and already being treated like an Im- an impact an impact hitter. In fact, um his zone rate from Friday through Sunday was eighth lowest of 92 MLB hitters who saw at least 50 pitches during that time. Among those were the lower rate with Chris with the K Davis, Freddie Freeman, and Chris Bryant. So he was getting pitched to like a superstar, which is pretty cool. And then the other thing, inter- interesting thing that Andrew did was he went back and looked at other phenoms in their first three career games to see, hey, was this the case for when, you know, other big names got their star? Because you would think a lot of times baseball players, pro athletes have egos, and they're going to say, this kid, I'm not going to let this kid beat me. I'm going to make a make a prove himself. And um, pretty much across the board, that rang true last year in his first three games. Shohei Otani had a 60% um, zone rate in his first three games. Acuna... 59% this year, Michael Chavis, 56%, Carter Keboon, 50%, Glaber Torres and Pete Alonso around 50%. Um, the only one who's had a lower zone rate than Guerrero through his first three games is Eloy Jimenez, who came into this year, I think, the second or third ranked prospect. I can't remember if Tatis or Jimenez was number two, but it was Vlad one, and those two were two. Essentially a tie. So, yeah, yeah. so it's, it's, um, it's definitely he's already seeing respect. It'll be interesting to see if that continues uh, this next series in Anaheim. It wouldn't be wouldn't it be kind of cool if he hits his uh, first career home run where his dad won an MVP? That would actually be uh, really cool. So Vlad is going to uh, join a Toronto team that's off to something of an interesting start. I don't think anybody thinks he's going to be a strong defensive third baseman. Although he did make a pretty nice play uh, over the weekend. 
the Jays have had a really surprising improvement in defense. Like one I didn't even realize until I started looking at these numbers. Uh, last year, they were really poor on defense. They uh, <laughs> minus 100 defensive runs saved. That was uh, 29th in Major League Baseball. They also were second to last in Ultimate Zone rating. And if you compare expected weighted on base versus regular weight on base, they cost their pitchers 15 points. So the expected was 322. The actual was 337. That was worse than baseball. Really bad, right? So far in 2019, uh, they are plus 20 defensive runs saved. That's fourth in MLB. And they have added 41 points of weighted on base. The expected is 331, and the actual is 290, right? And I broke it down a little bit and switching out a batting average. Uh, on grounders, they have added 49 points of batting average, which is, I think, a big deal for Marcus Stroman and Aaron Sanchez. Uh, and the, the teams here, I think they track, because if I look at the three worst teams, Texas, the Mets, and the Phillies. Makes sense to yep. me. Uh, and then on non-home run, fly balls, and line drives, they have added 60 points. Uh, the expected was 419 based on the quality of contact the pitchers are allowing. And 359 is what's actually happening. That is second best in baseball behind Houston. Like, that's that's really good. And I tried to figure out why, and I'm not sure I have a totally satisfying answer, but there are some defensive changes, um, especially, I think, at shortstop. Last year, it was Aledmus Diaz and uh, Lourdes Gurriel, and now it's Freddie Galvis. Uh, Gurriel was the second baseman this year, but then he actually got sent down because of you know defensive issues. Uh, last year, at third base, they had Solarte and Diaz and Donaldson and even Russell Martin. This year, it's been Brandon Drury, who's been pretty good. He's going to play some second base now that Vlad is up. Uh, and then yeah, the outfield, I think, is the most interesting. Remember, they traded Kevin Pillar, who was got this big reputation that I don't think the numbers actually support we, we, anymore. We generally sort of put a port some cold water on Kevin Pillar, uh, a defensive superstar on the show. Right. So they made some defensive changes. Um, they also have uh, not an entirely new coaching staff, but they do have a new manager in Charlie Montoya, who said, uh, you know, coming in from the, from the Rays, that he had planned to increase the shifts and change the positioning. He sort of has done that. All right. So last year, they shifted on 25% of pitches. That was 13th in baseball. Uh, I think I have that backwards. Last year, they were at 14%. This year, they're up to 25%, right? So they have improved uh, or increased their shifting a little bit. And then he gave this interesting quote to the Toronto Star in March on March 15th. He said that the 2018 Jays outfield played too shallow. And this is his quote. Yes, in my opinion, they were. We played against the Jays. I saw that. I don't know how many doubles and triples they gave up. But coming in, I knew I didn't want that. I wanted our outfielders to play deep. I wanted to make that change. Here's where it gets weird. Uh, that hasn't happened. The opposite has sort of happened. If you look at the center fielders last year, they averaged, I just looked at uh, road games, by the way, to get away from home field biases, uh, 317 feet last year for center fielders. That was their ninth shallowest. This year, they're playing at 309 feet, which is the shallowest. It's a little bit weird. Uh, the left fielders have dropped from 294 feet to 291. Right fielders have stayed about the same. Uh, that is mostly confusing because of the way he said he was not going to do that, and that's what's happened. Uh, but I think it's mostly about the infield here. I think uh, Galvis is a pretty good shortstop. Um, I think Drury is an upgrade at third base. We'll have to see what Vlad does. Uh, but this was surprising to me. I did not expect this shockingly, like you know, improving defense here from this Toronto team. Yeah. the um, The one thing I'd be, you know, specifically as it applies to Stroman and also Aaron Sanchez, who are kind of like you know ground ball guys. Um, I'd be curious if the shallow shallow outfield works for them because maybe they give up more low liners and maybe that's kind of a thing where you want to play shallow for those guys because um 
that you actually can cut off more more singles that way. I don't. Yeah. I don't then maybe it's, it's interesting. It, that trade off is worth it for guys who kind of who throw a lot of sinkers and presumably give up more um, low line drives than they do high fly balls. It's just weird because it's literally the opposite yeah. of what he said he was going to do. I don't have an answer to that. Um, but anytime I see a team make that big of an improvement, I feel like it's something worth noting. Uh, so that was cool, and that was the uh, that's our show for this week. This is the MLB.com Stackcast podcast. Catch you next week. Mm-hmm.